This is episode 63 of the Steady Trade Podcast with your host, Tim Bowen. I'm going to make you guess how many stocks are in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And Steven Johnson. I know that SPY 500 is like the top 500, but I don't know the <laughs> Dow. Well, geez, you really went out on a limb there. Today, Tim and Steven review a fantastic presentation given by multi-millionaire trader Greg LX21, which is also part 13 of Tim Sykes' 14-part Trader Checklist video series. The finish line is right in sight, and this episode is a must-listen. So let's get right to it. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. We are continuing our series covering Trader Checklist, which... If you're kind of stumbling across this episode out of series, that's great. Welcome. Uh, but we are doing an entire series. I think we're on number episode 12 today. Um, we've done an entire series. And then if you're wondering what we're talking about, you can go to TraderChecklist.com or you can just go to YouTube and, and search for Trader Checklist. It is a free 14 uh, uh, session episode, whatever you want to call it beginning trading breakdown done by Sykes. The coolest thing is free. Everybody loves free. Maybe if you're really just in the initial stages, you're, for whatever reason, you're like, hey, I'm going to check out trading. What are the mechanics? There, you can't be free. You know, you know maybe, maybe you'll get into this stuff and maybe you'll not be interested. And, and this way, you're not out anything. But there's a ton of great knowledge. And maybe... You know, there's a lot of great parts of Trader Checklist, but maybe my favorite is today's part. It is with Greg, and I always butcher Greg's name. I've known him for, I've probably known Greg for, oh, maybe seven, eight years now. You know, I didn't meet him at the beginning of, of my penny stock journey, but probably a couple years in. Um, Greg Ciabatta, I think is the right way to pronounce it, but, but I butcher it every time. I've actually introduced him. At a couple of these events, I've introduced him at Traders for a Cause, and I butcher his name every time. But uh, he's also known as LX21. You can check out his stats on Profitly. He is generally considered to be the most successful uh, dollar profits wise penny stock trader ever. I think he's got 10 million plus profits on Profitly, all verified. Now, you will see he hasn't posted in a few years. Um, best I can understand, and hopefully I'm not talking out of school, Greg has kind of gotten into the hedge fund type stuff. And once you get into that market, you've got some, you, you gotta, you've got some like information sharing regulations. So he doesn't post his trades anymore, but Greg is still kicking ass. And, you know, I get to see him at least once a year. We're recording this basically at the end of uh, August. I'll see him in about a month at Traders for a Cause which is a great event, Google Traders for a Cause. It's a charity event put on by traders. That's another seminar that's similar to the Trader Investor Summit that we have coming up in a few weeks. Yep, yeah, and, and I mean, I just, I haven't seen the trailer checklist for a couple of years and since we've gone back through it now, but I remember seeing Greg's LX21 speech and, and just being absolutely blown away by it. So, it's a real privilege to have it on the, on the Trader Checklist DVD. It's a real privilege to go back through it now. And, I, and all I can do is advocate that after this podcast, if you haven't watched the webinar or the, the live kind of talk that Greg gives, I would absolutely recommend that you give an hour to it. Yeah, and we'll show you the highlights right now. 
Yeah, we're just sampling the best parts, and you know, in our opinion and the producer's opinion. But uh, I mean, again, it's freaking free. If you don't, if you're interested in trading, it, it, even like half a percent interested in trading, and you don't watch a free one-hour presentation by basically the baddest mofo in penny stock trading, then I mean you need to do something else because you're, yeah. you're obviously have, you don't have enough passion or interest in this to spend an hour to watch Greg. And, and, and I, and I know, and I know a lot of people can switch off and be like, Oh, you just marketing this or marketing that. But I, I would honestly say personally, this, this upcoming uh, kind of speech that, uh, that we're about to showcase, it's, it's probably the, one of the best, if not the best segments of content that I've seen in terms of, uh, in, in terms of a talk on, on penny stocks. So without further ado, let's roll into it. Let's show you the highlights. And I'm sure that the audience will, will see the value pretty quickly. As many of you know, I came to the conference last year. My expectations were blown away. The speakers and the presentations were great. I'm a big skeptic when it comes to trading seminars and education for sale. I really don't think too many of them are worth it. But this conference that Tim has put together is an exception. I've been looking forward to coming back all year. I was registered to attend, and I was recommending to other traders long before Tim invited me to speak. So I'm honored to be here and be speaking to you today. Yes, I mean, this, this really looks like it dates back just by, by the videography. I think it must be a few years ago. But, uh, I mean, obviously, Greg is, is referencing one of Tim's earlier conferences, I was actually in Orlando in the 2017 conference. I'm, I'm hoping and expecting to be back in the 2018 conference. And just to give you some context, it's, it's, it's a pretty valuable... Just make sure, remember, remember to keep calling Homeland Security back, okay? They've, they've told me they're trying to clear some things up with you. So make sure you call them back so that they will actually let you in the country for the conference. <laughs> Uh, I really didn't know. I didn't know where that was going there. But yeah, I see. You, you saw us in Hooters. <laughs> you saw me in Hooters, obviously. Yes. No, I'm, I'm hoping I'll get back because I was worried. I mean, that's, that's always a worry as well. And I, I don't want to digress because we've got so much good content to go through. But I do worry every time I go back to America that I'm like, please let the immigration man stamp me back in. But um, the conferences are a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I remember last year, you get a, you get a lot of kind of, I mean, the guys get overwhelmed. I know like Roland and Ducks and Gratani and you and Sykes, everyone often has a bit of a crowd around them, but you will definitely have time to ask them one-to-one questions. You will get your time um, to, to, to speak to them one-on-one for a couple of minutes or maybe a bit longer, and you'll definitely hear like a one-two-hour presentation on stage. So they are very valuable to not just have the web-based con- uh, communication, but actually have in-person um, real-time education from people physically and not just one person, but like four, five, six different millionaires. Yeah, I think, you know, I go back to the original, uh, back, back, back in the day, it was the uh, Penny Stocking Conference. Um, I went back to the original one, and we talked about that with, with Mark Crook. Um, Mark actually sat, you know, was literally behind me before we even met each other. This is back 10 years ago. I think this year is the 10th year anniversary, but uh, I've been to... Almost everyone. I think I've only missed one, which, oddly enough, this I is remember the, that. 
This is the Tim, one. Tim, Rip, Tim ripped you on the DVD. He was like, <laughs> where is <laughs> You haven't seen the DVD. He was like, he was hammering you for it. It's, I've seen the DVD. <laughs> he was so like, Tim he, he thinks his business is more important than the conference. <laughs> I, don't, I did not know that. That's funny. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the one I missed. So I think this is number three. So this, I, I believe, it might be number two, number three. So you're right. It's going back about seven years, but everything Greg says is timeless in, in this presentation. And, you know, I think that, that he makes a great point. Um, you know, one of the coolest things about what the Penny Stocking Conference or the Trader Investor Summit has been, it's always these different, you know, Tim has had this idea of bringing in all these different uh, traders, uh, ideas, you know, we've had futures guys. We've had, I don't know if we've ever had a Forex guy, but you know, we've had big cap, small cap, shorts, longs, all these different, you know, guys that are new, you know, or guys that have been around like forever for Greg. And I think that, that, that is one thing that Sykes has always done with this idea is brought in that very diverse kind of, uh, opinions and styles all to one place. And as Steven mentioned, it's always been very uh, networkable. You know, the, you know it's, it's always been the idea would be that, hey, you can go up, talk to these guys one-on-one, -on -one, ask a few questions. Maybe, you know, they're multi-day events. Maybe you go out to dinner or whatever. But um, I think there's huge, huge value. And we've got one coming up. Uh, you know, again, the Trader Investor Summit, I think it's sold out. So if you're hearing this now, you're probably out of luck. But keep it in mind for next year. And also, I talk about this all the time, is, is the value of networking. You know, I look back at every year and uh, there's a lot of guys that are new that meet other, and gals. I Again, remember I'm a redneck. I say guys all the time. But there's a lot of people that meet other traders that are in their position and bounce ideas and then become friends down the road. Um, you know, uh, I think, I think back of Eric Russell, he talked about it on his interview, how he met a bunch, I think two years ago when he was just getting started, he met a bunch of guys that he's still buddies with and he's actually trading with as partners to today. So the education at these conferences is great, but don't discount the networking aspects of them as well. Yeah, and I mean, final thing to say, we'll go on to the next clip, but even at, there's, a, there's a good five or six people that I'm friends with just from the last conference alone, just from, from meeting people. But let's get to the next clip. I'm interested to, to hear what's coming. We are going to start off today with some quick trivia. The Dow hit a high of 381 in 1929. What was the last year you could have invested in the stock market with the Dow still below the 1929 peak? Yep, I think I've seen this interview twice, and I still can't remember the answer, so I'm not even going to try. Not even going to try, but Tim Bourne, if you want to try. Well, uh, man, uh, you know, I have seen this, but it's been, it's been back. You know, I watched, I'll admit, full disclosure, I watched Trader Checklist once when it came out, when it came out. so it's been a couple years. So I don't remember either, but I'm trying to guess... Oh, 400 on the Dow. Um, 1968. 1967, the summer of love. <laughs> no, I'll go like 1951. Uh, 1954. It's a full 25 years later. Now, the Dow hit 100 in 1906. 
Investors would have one more chance to invest in the market with the Dow below 100 in 1942, a full 36 years later. The Dow's most recent peak in 2007 was 14,100. Now, if history is any guide, that means you'll have one more chance to invest in the market with the Dow below that level sometime around 2037. So number one, I'm actually, even though Stephen beat me in the trivia with his random freaking guess, and I think he just prices righted me anyway, he, we, he didn't pick one year lower, but he just randomly picked a lower year. I will Don't say this. I will say this. I'm actually somewhat pleased I was only off by 13 years. I mean, uh, when you think about the 140 years of the stock market, I was off by, you know, 13 years. I'm actually kind of pleased with that. So, Yeah, but I mean, the one thing that, that gets to me by, and, and again, he's talking about the, the Dow's natural price, and obviously it's, it seems a little bit away, a world away from the little cheap penny stocks of 4 or $5 that, that, that we talk about. But the interesting thing for me is he's, he's not just considering the price of the Dow, but he's being meticulous about the price and its history, which shows the finesse and the detail and the enthusiasm and the interest that he has in the overall stock market that carries through into penny stocks that has made him such a great trader to this day, I would argue. Yeah, I totally agree with your point there. That was actually pretty well thought out. Nice work. Um, for me, what, what I think Greg is getting at when I hear him talk about, you know, these opportunities to get back into those stock market crash levels is he's basically telling you there is all, there is always been extreme volatility in the markets and there will continue to be extreme volatility. I think, I think what he was getting at by saying, okay, from 1929 to 1954, you could have got in the same level. And then, yeah. you know, other, other, other times he's getting at the fact that everybody knows about the 1929 crash. Nobody talks about 1954 as, as being, you know, relevant in the stock market history. What he's getting at is that there are extreme swings in the market, and that's what we love as day traders. Charles Dow invented the Dow Jones Industrial Average in 1896. How many stocks from the original Dow are still there today? I mean, how many stocks on the original Dow from that many years ago? I mean, not knowing much about America as a, a British, a British guy, but but knowing about kind of capitalism and and how big brands kind of stay and the rich stay in power. I don't know. I don't really know. I'm going to say like. How many how many stocks are in the Dow in general? Do you know? Yes, I do. That's gonna help. Can you tell us? Because that's going to help us really think about it. But I, well, um, well, there's there's the next. I'm going to make you guess how many stocks are in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Let's start with that. Because I know the spy, I know then, the SPY 500 is like the top 500, but I don't know the Dow. <laughs> well, geez, you really went out on a limb there. You're telling me the S P 500 stocks? I but I don't know how much the Dow is. I just know it exists, and I know the Nasdaq's the I know the Nasdaq's the tech stock, and the Dow's the industrial stocks, and the SPY is the top 500. So just make a guess. The, like the top 200. Um, I, I'm gonna say like, but I don't know how many's in the Dow, so I can't make an educated guess. I'm well, gonna guess, say, and then I'm gonna then say we'll, like tw- twenty-two, and then let's learn about it. You're actually pretty good. That, that, that's not bad. There's thirty. There's thirty in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So. There's thirty in total. Well, twenty are not gonna be left, and I want to change my answer. But okay, well, no, you so you weren't you didn't got it. Some sometimes it'd be nice if you follow instructions. You were supposed oh. to make two guesses, 
as to how many are in the Dow, then how many are left, and you screwed it up. Okay, so I, I thought there was 20 in the Dow, and I'll say there's about six left. Okay, so a um, little bit of trivia. One thing that one of the reasons, and I'll actually forgive Stephen for not knowing how many are in the Dow. In my opinion, a lot of people watch the Dow because it's a big number. You see Dow 20,000, 25, we're at 26,000 now. People see that big number, so it kind of captivates them. But I don't think it's the best index to watch simply because there are only 30 stocks. I much prefer the S&P 500 because it's 500 stocks. I mean, it's a much, the reason we watch indexes as traders, as, as particularly as momentum traders, we want to see what the overall market is doing. And I don't really think the Dow is a good representation of that considering it's only got 30 stocks. The S&P 500 is a better one to watch. Now, I, or the NASDAQ, the QQQ. Um, is a, I, I watch the QQQ and the SPY. But um, I'm going to say with my guess, so we've got from the original and roughly, I think, what was it, 1880, 1870, something like that. I'm going to say that there, I'm going to go with one and I'm going to kind of give myself a back door in that I think it's going to be like Standard Oil, which is now like Exxon. Now, I don't know if that'll count. I'll see if Greg has mercy on me, but I'm going to say one is my guess. Fascinating. Next clip. GE is the only stock yeah. remaining in the Dow from 1896. Wow. So I know, obviously, and this is like hindsight trading, but I swear on the Bible, GE was my second, was my backup guess. I mean, obviously, General Electric going back to Thomas Edison, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I just, I thought, I didn't think GE was around until like the turn of the century. So that's my weak cop out. But anyway. It's sad. I, I knew GE's history. I used to work for them. I should, I should know better. I didn't know they were on the Dow, though. That was me. That was me fault. Oh, well, I, I knew they were in the Dow like today, but I just thought, I guess I got to read my history. I thought, I don't know. I just thought GE started in like 1905 or something, I guess. Yeah, no. Does anybody know what percent of new traders fail? Oh, my God. Tim, it's 1-1. One, one. It's 1-1. One, one. And while I might have pipped it with a little bit of luck, uh, this is actually the decider. And what percentage of new traders fail? Well, I mean, what percentage of traders fail? What percentage of new traders fail? I think it's arguably probably this might be the same thing that he's, that he's putting in context. I'm going to go with that. He's going to say 95%. I think you might go 90. I think I might be putting myself in a dangerous position, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say he's going to say 95. I do appreciate you being aggressive with your call. You. you know, that that's trying to be pretty precise. I'm being bold. And, but we are one in one. I am extremely competitive. So I can't just roll over. I got a prices right yet, and I'm just going to go 94. Just oh, as a, it's, a cheap shot. it's a cheap shot, that's, I admit. It is a cheap shot. It's a low went, blow. But, Stephen, you know what? I'm, you willing, I'm willing to hit you below the waist if it means to I win. win. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay, let's go. I hope I win. <laughs> this, is, this is competitive. Does anybody know what percent of new traders fail? Well, there is no exact answer, but researchers in Taiwan tracked the performance of traders over five years, 
in perhaps the most comprehensive study ever done on the profitability of traders, they found that out of a typical six-month period, more than eight out of ten day traders lose money. There was a New York Times article that said, regulators who have examined the books of day trading firms say that more than nine out of ten traders wind up losing money. In 2008, the prop firm Tuco Trading was shut down by the SEC. In the legal proceedings that followed, the records of the accounts were made public. There were 206 active accounts when the firm was shut down. Out of those, only 33 were profitable. 84% of them were not making money. What's more, only seven accounts were worth more than $50,000, meaning only 3% of the traders were demonstrating any serious success. So these sources put the failure rate somewhere above the 80 to 90% range. But those numbers include established experienced traders. If we look at new traders, then the failure rate would easily be much higher, perhaps a lot higher than 90%. And what do I think? I think it's easy to make money trading stocks, but it's even easier to lose money. There are plenty of examples of traders who make money for a while, then go on to lose it all. After almost 13 years of experience, I still find that consistent, profitable trading is extremely challenging. The only thing that convinces me that I'm any good at this is the balance in my trading account. Only one out of 10 people that attempt to trade will go on to make money and stay in the business. Obviously, we all want to belong to that minority, the 10% of traders who succeed. In this short time we have together today, I want to talk to you about joining that 10% club. I mean, yeah, I mean, this, this is a point that really hits home for me because... What, what point is that? The point that I won? The point that you won is a little bit uh, not surprising because you've got so many more years of experience and age that you might know, you might be privy to this knowledge. So I think that I got 33% is not bad. But a point that kind of really hits home for me, what Greg said was, it's the fact that a lot of people will make money and think that they've made it and then they'll go on to actually lose it all, which is, which is a bit of a sad thing because it's exactly what happened to me. I mean, I went through 12 months of losing and then I went through a kind of seven out of nine months of being profitable and I thought, that's it, I'm away. And I know I've spoke to other traders who are exactly the same, thought, that's it, I'm away, I'm making consistent profits. And then all of a sudden you can go through a, a psychological turn and or the market changes and it just goes wrong and you're like, whoa, what's happened? And that's one, that's one piece of counsel that I'd give to other people is never, never just assume that you've made it the first time you think that you've made it because often it will turn against you, sadly. Yeah, I think that you know, one of the reasons we called this the Steady Trade Podcast is exactly that. I mean, it's not the Get Rich Quick Trading Podcast. Our goal is to, you know, number one, you know, educate, entertain, have some fun, but really to talk about that idea that so many, you know, I think the failure rate is so high because everybody has unrealistic expectations and those unrealistic expectations can, can get fed by early success. You know, you, you maybe, maybe you come in and you're like, hey, I'm just going to take this easy, you know, I'm going to risk a little bit. And then you hit a hot streak and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I got this mastered, boom, and then you're gone. Um, 
I rant all the time on my, you know, again, my personal Twitter is kind of a waste of time, but I look at these guys that, that, that drive me nuts that short these low float stocks, you know, they'll, they'll make a, they'll make, you know, 50,000 today, then they'll lose a hundred thousand tomorrow and then they'll make 20,000. And it's like, they talk about the twenties and the fifties, but they're still red on the week. And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter if you made 50 G's today and 20 G's on Wednesday, if you lost a hundred G's on Tuesday. And I think that unlimited opportunity is, and Greg mentions, you know, it's easy to make money. I mean, you just click the same buttons and you know, now that's way an oversimplification and, and that's Greg's point as well, but it's not hard to click buy and sell. It's hard to do it consistently. And you can, you can, Click buy, make 50 grand today, doesn't do you any good if you lose 100 tomorrow. So I think that that unrealistic expectation and that unwillingness to grind and, and have that long mindset is why the failure rate is so high. Yeah, and, and it's just it's kind of it's just such a you versus you thing. And I know it's uh, the stock market is everyone versus everyone, but it's such a you versus you yeah, thing. Once you, learn, once you learn what to do and once you learn a profitable strategy, it's, it's somehow insanely difficult to stick to the profitable strategy, even though you know that if I follow this process, I should make money. If I do it over and over and over, still, you just don't do it because you get annoyed after a couple of days that your trade didn't come and then you, you fall into a trap with yourself. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing how, how the brain works. And, but some people come over it faster than others, and I'm sure that everyone will come over it with time. I mean, it's just learning. And, like, that, you know, and that, that's why you want to be steady is you have to get through this process. And if you blow up month one, you know, think about it. You're, you're, you're crashing. You're, you're Steven pedaling his bike off the cliff into the broken glass. You know, you can't, you can't recover from that. So, you know, basically, you know, we talk about this a lot, but have that long mindset because if you blow up today, you can't be here next month, next year. Yeah, and, and just the final thing is like, like I'm not saying that you have to be an STT pro for five years or you have to be in the challenge for five years. You don't. Like maybe you only need to be an STT pro for one year or maybe you only need to be in the challenge for one year. Learn the theory and then spend the rest of the time practicing your discipline, practicing your emotions, seeing the market, reapplying what you've learned. You don't have to, you don't have to do this shit for three years. You just... You need to get the knowledge, which I think you can get in one year, and then you need to kind of maybe learn to apply it over year two, year three, year four. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, yep. Oh, yeah. You know, and you know, timelines are going to vary for everyone. But you're right. I mean, you know, once you get to a certain percentile of knowledge, then it's just you in the mirror after that. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> and you'll find who your demons are. <laughs> you'll find who your demons are. And next clip. <laughs> when I took a look at both of those charts. I had no idea where I would have traded them. At first glance, I think I might have entered too early. And trying to figure out where I would have exited was just a wild guess. And this made me realize something. I can't trade part-time. I can't just check in with the markets. I need to be immersed in the markets to be in sync with everything going on. When I'm immersed in the market, I become fluent in its language. I'm able to interpret it. When I'm away, it becomes a foreign language, and it doesn't make much sense. What does this mean? Why is immersion important to me? 
A chart pattern by itself is often not enough to determine when and where to place trades. I read chart patterns all the time, but without understanding the entire situation, it's much harder to figure out what to do. There are times when the exact same chart pattern could be a buy or a sell. So, when I read a stock chart, I want to take in all available information on the stock and then put the chart and the price action into context of everything I see. The first thing I do is identify why is it up or why is it down? What's the catalyst behind the move? Is there any news out? Are there any rumors? Are any analysts following it? Did any of them change the recommendation or price target? I try to gauge the sentiment on the stock. I'll look at chat rooms, message boards, Twitter. I want to know who else is trading it. Are there a lot of day traders in the name? Are a lot of people shorting it? How about people with a big following? Is the media talking about it? How about bloggers or Seeking Alpha? Some stocks move in sympathy with others. If another company in the sector had major, major news, there's often carryover. Even fundamentals can come into play. Do they have a lot of cash or debt? What's the float? Are insiders buying or selling? And finally, the type of market we're in can have a huge influence on how stocks trade. Most information can quickly be filtered out as noise. But what's most important and what should be focused on changes each time. Once I identify the key elements behind the stock's move, then I can begin to understand the chart pattern. I could not imagine doing this if I were trading part-time or only checking in with the market. So, man, number one, I loved that animation as well as the points that he made of, of you know, that that's... And not at all am I trying to somehow put myself in Greg's league, but it reminds me of, of what I talk about, about building the case. You know, so many people just see some stock that's moving. You see how he goes through these, I don't know, 10 different criteria that are influencing or potentially not or potentially are influencing the price of the stock and that due diligence. Now, doesn't mean... He's, maybe he spends five minutes, maybe he spends five hours, but the fact is he's building that case, he's breaking it down, he's not doing random shit, um, and I think that's a huge lesson, and write down all of those things he looked into, because they're all seeking alpha, it's still kind of relevant, but every other one of them is still relevant today. Now, I would, I would never, ever would I disagree with Greg, but I would make the point that I think as a, you know, he mentions he can't imagine trading part-time. Now, he did trade part-time. He had a business, actually, he was building play sets, um, like playground sets back when he got started. And, I, and I'm like 90% sure he started out trading part-time. Now, I think his point is he cannot trade on his level part-time. Um, and, I, and, and that I totally agree with. If you're going to make, you know, millions of dollars a year, you got to be dialed in. Now, I, what, what I just wanted to make the point, don't let him scare you away. I mean, if you're getting started and you quit your job because you're going to start day trading tomorrow, you're freaking crazy, okay? You can learn, you can trade small, you can get a little better every day part-time. So, 100% agree with Greg on all of this. I would just make that one delineation. Don't let his point about part-time scare you away from trading part-time. I think his point was 
he can't make two million dollars a year trading momentum stocks part time. Yeah, and I, and I, and I totally agree. And, and all I can really do is pull this back to personal experience. Not that I've got any experience anywhere near Greg at all, like not at all. But but what I can say is it goes back to the old adage of you get whatever you put in, you get back out of the market. And if you work really hard and you track lots of data and you spend a lot of time analyzing that, charts, that probably that's probably why all your relationships fail, right? <laughs> oh, how much you put in? How much you put in? You know. But I haven't been in a relationship for a while, so it's hard to say. That's my point. <laughs> but um, I, I, I kind of know what you mean. But but in terms of trading, um, I would say when you really like the one thing that stuck with me was when he was talking about being immersed with the market, and he was saying when you're really, really watching every chart, when you really keep, and he was saying market environment's a huge one. When you're really in sync. And I think this is what Roland was saying. I was talking to Roland the other day. He's like, you've got to look for the patterns that are working. So if multi-day runners are working, if, if, if green days that are running two and three green days are working, then you've got to look for the other green days. And Mark Crook's interview was saying, when you look for if sympathy plays a half, the weed sector's hot, then you have to look for the other weed sector. That's hot as well. And if innings winners are low floats are running, then you've got to look out for the other ones. You've really got to be in sync with what the market's doing. You've really got to be in sync with how bullish or bearish it is. You've really got to be in sync with how much volume's being traded. And the more you pay attention, the more you get out. And I can totally relate to that. And in that respect, it's, and this is why people should focus on one pattern because like, fine, like some people like ducks, they can, they can just spend 15 hours and, and they can see everything and trade all of the different patterns. But if, if you are part-time, if you are not able to spend a lot of time with the market, then just trade one pattern because at least you can spend enough time to master that single pattern and, and be proficient in it if you are part-time. Do you know what I mean? Yep, yep. And, and I tell you, when I want to kind of expand on what I said as well as you, you made some great points, and, and I'm glad I didn't forget. Now, when I say trade part-time, I don't mean show up once a week or a couple times a week, okay? Trading part-time, to me, the definition is you got a job, you got school, that's your main priority. When I was part-time, I got up 5 a.m. every freaking market day and looked at charts, looked at the news, did my trade plans, did my reviews, and I was there every night. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, again, agreeing with Greg you got to be immersed in the market. So when I say part-time, I don't mean you show up Wednesday at 1 p.m. and you're done for the week. You got to be there every freaking day. When I call it part-time trading, I just mean it's a lot like like what Steven's doing. He's got a day job. He can only trade the market open. You can make that work. But other than when he's you know drunk, passed out on the beach, Steven's there every single day. But, and, and you've also like what I've found though is when I've had the most success, it's when I've spent eight hours on a Friday, like my weekends are Friday and Saturday. I've spent six hours on a Friday, six hours on a Saturday, Interesting. looking at charts, right. going through the results, working out what's going on, analyzing the data. I'm spending, getting up a couple of hours every morning. When I do that, I generally find that it somehow reinforces the discipline. I've got an idea of the market and I, I, I'm good at what I do. Uh, but if I, if I slack off, if I don't track the data, if I don't keep an eye on the charts, if I'm not putting them on the wall, I don't know if it's a mix of somehow my discipline drops. I don't know if it's some psychological thing. Well, or I think you're just not as in sync with the market. I don't know what yeah. it is. 
I think we'll, we'll move on to the next clip, but I think your, what you just did there is, I mean, you proved Greg's point. I mean, you, when, if you, did, essence, was, you, know, yeah, you, you said when you're immersed in the market as you you know, well. you're still, you're still a part-timer, but when you're as immersed as you can be, you do better. So yeah, hundred percent Greg's point. So, and it's because it's because it's true. It's true. It's very true. And he's right. Next clip. I have over 400 stocks on my watch list. Most of them I'm just watching. I have alerts on them just in case. But with so many stocks, I need a way to narrow them down to the ones I want to trade. I developed a basic rating system. Once a stock on my watch list becomes tradable, I move it to the top of the watch list and then assign it a rating from one to four. A one-star rating is the most common trade setup. They're not great, but they're tradable. If something merits a three-star rating, then I definitely do not want to miss it. And four-star trade setups are the best. Every once in a while, there's a trade setup that's even better than a four-star rating. So I have to add one more level. <laughs> My five-star rating is an 11 on the volume knob. They aren't the best. They're the best of the best. The five-star rated trades are very rare. They are gifts from the market. When I first started trading, I figured, why not trade all the setups? The lower-rated setups would take up most of my time, energy, and buying power, but would add little to my bottom line. Over time, I began to realize that majority of my profits were coming from the four- and five-star trades, even though they were a small minority of my trades. And sometimes, by trading the one- or two-star setups, I would completely miss a four or five star setup. The distraction of having so many trades would cause inferior entries and exits. I realized that the opportunity cost was so great that I could actually make more money by trading less. I want to trade only the best setups. Oh man, you know, this is where I think this was an inspiration. You know, this is, this was, this presentation again was probably six or seven years before Trader Checklist, but you know, the reason Tim included it is probably, first of all, it's a great presentation overall, but that particular clip is, I, in my opinion, I'm, you know, it's my opinion, that clip right there was probably stewing in Tim's mind when he came up with the trader checklist because Greg is 100% right. And man, we've seen that in August. I mean, you can sit there and trade these mediocre setups and just basically tread water when you could have been doing other things. I mean, enjoying the weather, going on vacation, whatever. But the biggest thing he point he makes is have a system rate those stocks, 400 stocks on his watch list, which are probably, when we talk about, I'd love to have that list, by the way, but, um, you know, they're probably 400 former runners. We talked about former runners with, with Crook's episode a couple, uh, two episodes ago or whatever it was, you know, that idea, he's looking at these 400 stocks. I bet you they're all stocks that have gone ridiculously high and crashed. Greg is primarily a short seller. So he's just waiting with that volume alert and that price alert, when that stock pops back up, he's got it back on his radar and he's preparing. But biggest thing, and we've said it all the way through, have a system. He's got a system. He's not, you know, he, he, I'm sure he guards it, you know, like, you know, with, with his life. But he's telling you, 
that he's got these criteria and when it's a four, when it's a five, that's all he does is that stat. Yeah. And I mean, and it's not even that difficult. I mean, obviously his personal strategy is going to be quite complex, but he kind of detailed it by saying, keep in, keep into context, all of these 10 different variables, yep. uh, which he showed on the, the, the spider kind of chopped before. But the, the most important strategy is that just less is more. And if Greg is not trading his three and four star setups, and, and he can probably nail them pretty well if he's not trading them, then the average trader who can't nail them very well it should definitely not be trading them. And, and it just comes back to Roland's interview as well. When Roland's saying like, look, I'll, I'll watch average setups work out and I'll just laugh and I'll let them pass. And then when I look at all of me pals, like all of me pals who are kind of at the same level as I am after, after say like, 24 months they're all up and down they're all up and down a lot of them are red in august because there's not been very many good opportunities because it's quieter and and it's it just always comes back to the same thing if you just talk that a grade setup if you only traded two or three times and you didn't lose on the three or four star setups you, you might have made some money this month yeah i think that that goes back to that 90 percent failure rate is um you know, first of all, I think a lot of that 90% failure rate is unrealistic, unrealistic expectations, but that is such a common fallacy that the best of the best, the most successful, everybody thinks they're trading 10 times a day. The be- I mean, there's some guys that do Some that, do. Some do, The yeah. best of the best don't trade nearly as much as you think they do. And if you see some guy, I mean, Twitter's famous for it throwing out 50 different trades a day it's a disaster yeah and we man, took this long then we took this short then we took this long again why didn't you miss in this auction why aren't you in this chat room i'm like yeah and and i would un- love un- to un- see- unfollow <laughs> unfollow exactly stop distracting me stop throwing us off me game <laughs> so right? yeah big biggest takeaway from this one is have a system you know stick to your best setups and i know and we talk about this a lot you might be like, well, geez, Tim, Steven, what's my best setup? That's why you take your time. That's why you trade small. That's why you review, review, review. Comes Friday, you know, you got to look at what you did and look at what worked and get rid of the stuff that didn't work. And that's how you build your process. And, and that's why I would just say, just take an educational course for a year. Sure. Take a, take a course for a year, buy a, buy a couple of DVDs. Gratani's DVD was excellent as well. Figure out one or two patterns that just feel good for you or work for you, and then and then you can work onwards after that. So next clip. Few of us have access to a trading coach, so each one of us is our own coach. That means we are the ones who must master our emotions and our thinking. To become the best trader possible, you must become a master of your own mind. Mastering the self as a trader is never complete. It is a journey with many setbacks but the rewards are plenty. I start with learning as much as I can. I study books on trading psychology. Next, I want to be an objective observer of myself. I observe myself when I trade, and I want to be brutally honest with what I see. The bottom line, the PL, doesn't care about my ego. To find faults, I need to be humble enough to admit them. That's not always easy. Let's talk about the different elements of the self you want to be aware of and master. It's the biases I'm so concerned about when I describe the clear your mind technique. See, our brains are always trying to convince us we're right through many built-in biases. Here are some of the major ones. Blind spot bias. If you don't think you have this bias, then you do. 
It's the tendency to see biases in other people around you, but to be blind to the influence of the bias in yourself. Improving as a trader means actively looking for the influences of your biases, not denying them. This one is probably the biggest one for traders, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to look for and find evidence to support your already existing beliefs and to ignore or reinterpret anything that contradicts your beliefs. Confirmation bias is real easy to see in politics. Our party is always perfect. It does things for the right reasons. The opposing party is always incompetent. It has evil motives. And of course we believe these things because we look for and cherry pick the things that prove it. In trading, this is very dangerous. If you're long a stock, the tendency is to look for all the reasons why you're right, why it's such a great trade. The market doesn't care how good your arguments are, and neither should you. The only thing you should care about is making money. So you should be playing devil's advocate. Actively explore reasons why you're wrong. Where else does confirmation bias come into play? I see it all the time when people try to pick a bottom or a top on a stock. And I admit I do it too. I remember back in September when the stock for Netflix dropped by almost $100 in a week. Each day as it dropped, people were trying to pick the bottom. And each day, they readily found plenty of reasons why the bottom was in. But each time they bought it, it just kept going lower. Confirmation bias is also dangerous when using technical analysis. If you look at enough indicators, you can almost always find something that confirms what you're looking for. In fact, you can often just change the time frame on an indicator to convert a sell signal into a buy. Sunk cost bias, the tendency to believe in something because of the cost sunk into that belief. Once we start to lose money on a trade, we are very reluctant to take a loss and move on. This is natural, we all do it, but it's definitely not very beneficial for trading. The odds of success going forward have nothing to do with how much money you're losing. Trust me, I've had occasions where I was short a stock sitting on a large loss, and if it weren't for having a loss, I might have been buying it and going long. My bias gets in the way. And hindsight bias, this one drives me crazy. It's the tendency to view past events as predictable. Hindsight bias will convince you that trading is easier than it is. I kick myself over and over for leaving money on the table and missing such obvious good trades. The knee-jerk response is to get the next one. Unfortunately, the result is over-trading and trading too aggressively. Yeah, I mean, it just I think by now you can probably see why we've been such advocates of, of encouraging other people to watch this free presentation that comes on Trader Checklist. But there's, there's two things that really stick out for me. And one of them is the hindsight bias, which was, which was quite an interesting point where you said you'll kick yourself after missing that trade and it'll give you a false representation of the market thinking that it's easier than it is. And I think one way that I've one way that I try and counter that is that just because we've got technology today and good powered computers today, you can just screen record live and then you can watch back the trade in real life motion and then you can, and you can think back to what you're thinking at each time and why you're thinking it and maybe you can correct some thoughts in that way and it's a lot easier than looking at just a chart pattern in hindsight. And the second thing is it's, it's all kind of psychology but it all just comes back to the, 
the most simple thing that once there's money involved, once the candles are going up and down, once the profit and loss are going up and down, you can be psychologically uh, open to a lot of bad things happening. And he, and he kind of highlighted a lot of them there. And it all comes down to the fact that you've just got to stick to your plan because when you make the plan, you're rational. And when the candles are going up and down and the price is going up and down, you become irrational and you fall privy to all of these different psychological elements that Greg's just indicated. So for me, you can either try and master these different psychological indicators or these psychological things, which sounds really, really difficult, but in the beginning, just stick to your fucking plan. So you don't mess up. Do you know what I mean? Just stick to your plan that you made when you had a rational brain. Yeah, yeah. And I want to touch on that too. So Greg obviously nailed all four of these bullets. The biggest one, you know, so I don't need to add to what what he's already saying, but the biggest one that I want to discuss is confirmation bias. I think that is one of the biggest things we deal with. You know, Stephen mentioned technology. One of the biggest things we deal with with technology. um, I don't know if I would want to trade Back in Jesse Livermore's day, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it'd be cool. Maybe it wouldn't be. Maybe it wouldn't be or wouldn't be. But you know, back then, he only, you know, all he could basically trade was the chart and like the daily newspaper. You know, there was limited amount of information. I actually did a presentation at, at one of these penny stocking conferences called "Ignore the Noise," and for you know, I. Uh, got a lot of good comments on it. And I really focused on that confirmation bias point in that, you know, like Steven said, when you're breaking this down, you're doing your sheet, you're doing your process, you're rational. When there's money on the line and you're looking at a red number or even a green number, I mean, you could be looking at a profit and you start reading, you know, all this technology, Twitter, you know, Wall Street Journal, you know, every newspaper is online, Seeking Alpha, all these forums, all these chat rooms, you have access to unlimited information that will affect your bias in the trade. And as Greg mentioned, what's, what's the stuff you're going to pay attention to? The stuff that agrees with you. You're going to ignore everything that, that is against your stance, especially if you're in a loser. I mean, if you're in a loser, you'd be like, oh, that guy's an idiot. Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That's a terrible article, et cetera, et cetera. But what I say you do and this is back to my ignore the noise presentation, is once you're in that trade, shut everything off. You know, a good example, Tim Grittani even shuts his P&L off, which I think is aggressive for a newbie. You know, when, when Grittani's in a trade, only thing he looks at is the price chart. Because once you're in it, none of that information matters. Because the market is going to do what the market's going to do. And doesn't matter if there's a new article, doesn't matter if there's a tweet by Citron or whoever, doesn't matter any of this, all that matters is that price action. And I think, again, shutting off the P&L is a little aggressive as a newbie. You should probably know, especially if you got a small account, you should know what your P&L is. But I say, after you've built your case, after you've entered that trade, you shut everything off and you look at that chart and that's it. Because none of that information matters except the chart. And, and you're, just, you're just totally not in control of it anyway as yeah. well. I mean, <laughs> this market is a, it's a free-flowing thing. You've made a calculated bet. You've calculatedly bet that you think that this can happen based on this information. And then it's, it goes back to the old casino, casino analogy that 
sometimes shit happens. Sometimes yeah, luck yeah. can work. Sometimes shit can go wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, some of these weed stocks, great example. All, last night, every one of these weed stocks closed strong. They were all beautiful charts, all at 52-week highs. Last night, some guy goes on CNBC, calls them all overvalued. Citron comes out this morning, bashes a bunch of them. And you're like, what? This was the greatest setup ever, but you can't control the fact that these big name guys are going on TV and bashing them. You know, you can't, there's nothing you can do about it. But, but I mean, that, that just goes again back to just having a plan. Like you will make a calculated plan. And, and that's the other thing. Like you've got to stick to your plan as well. You can't just think like, oh, I'm a little bit profitable. Oh, I've made 2%, 3%. I'm going to take it. Well, you can't really do that. You've got to think this is my goal. I'm going to hang in until I get this goal. And if it comes back on us, then it comes back on us. But the plan didn't work out. So either way, I think you've got to stick to your plan because a lot of people just take gains too early because they're happy to see green. And then that just doesn't work out either. Yeah, and then, and then the last one that I, that I think is very pertinent, and again, he made good points, but the sunk cost bias. I mean, he mentions um, one of my favorite trade setups is you know that stock that quote-unquote everybody is short because it's a no-brainer, and man, especially if it's a low-float stock with you know all these things we talk about every episode pretty much, but when it's a low-float stock, it's at 52-week highs. It has news. It has unusual volume. I don't care how much it's up. I mean, most of the time, especially day one, these are stocks you should look to go long. But once you're short, you can't, you know, you can't see that. And he touches on that fact. You, once, you're, once you're in it, you're like, oh, it's up 200%. It's up 300%. It can't possibly go higher. They can, no, always, go, they can always go higher. And, and you'll just make shit up in your head. You'll be like, ah, uh, that breakout wasn't very big or that breakout wasn't on much volume or, oh, look, it's just crack. This has got to be the backside. That's a bit of a crack, but then the crack gets bought up before you know it. And you, you can make up anything in your head to justify being in a trade. It's amazing yeah. what you can wake up. It's amazing what you can make up in your head to stay in a trade. And that's, I, I, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Great point. And I actually wrote it down and I forgot the another little nugget that he drops in there is technical indicators. I've seen it so many times where, I mean, 99% of the time my chart is, you know, the, the price volume and VWAP. I've seen plenty of guys that after they get in a trade, they start adding, adding Fibonacci's. They're like, Oh, it's failing at this fib level. They're starting at, they're adding all this crap. And I've said this in, actually in, in, in presentation, I think that same presentation, I mean, you add enough technical indicators, you can make any trade look good. You know, you could be, it could be the worst setup in the world, but you add enough lines and bars of that chart and you could be like, this thing looks awesome. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, just the last thing I'll say before we go on the next clip is like, I know some people that use indicators that work for them and that's cool. Like, but make sure that the indicators. But don't be well. adding them after the trade. Yeah, don't add that, them after. That's the point Greg's making. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like if you're like, oh, every time the RSI index goes up to this and it hits this Fibonacci retracement, like it's a long. Like that's cool. As long as you decided it was a long before you had any money on the table and you're thinking rationally. If you're like, oh, no, I'll just risk this Fib, all of a sudden, like that's random as shit thinking and you shouldn't do it, in my opinion. Trading is, trading is the most simple thing, yet it's the most difficult thing. It's a, it's a very strange thing. And, and the best way to do it well is just, like Greg said, be immersed in the markets. 
but then also keep your trading pretty much as simple as you can. Next clip. And now the one that to me is much bigger than fear or greed, confidence, overconfidence to be specific. I pay more attention to my confidence levels than anything else. So many of my biggest losses came on the heels of an increase in confidence that now I do everything I can to minimize my confidence. Remember the Metricom trade where I blew half my account? I was way too confident. What happens when champion athletes get too confident? Mike Tyson was one of the most feared fighters in boxing history. The undefeated, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. He knocked out almost everyone he met and often in the first round. In 1990, he went on to fight Buster Douglas, a relative nobody. Tyson was a 42 to 1 favorite. This fight was supposed to be a warm-up bout for his next opponent, Evander Holyfield. Tyson did not take the fight seriously. Overconfident, he didn't train or prepare the way he usually did. And Tyson didn't just lose in one of the biggest upsets in sporting history, he got knocked out. Show me an overconfident athlete, and I'll show you someone who is on the verge of an upset. Just like a champion boxer, I'm susceptible to getting knocked out when I get too confident. If my confidence ever balloons into hubris, watch out. Every time it's ever happened, I had my head handed to me on a platter. When I'm overconfident, I'm not on guard. I put too much money on trades, I take trades I shouldn't, and I don't see the warning signs of when I'm wrong. Um, so, a couple takeaways for me here. Number one, if even Greg can get overconfident, you need to definitely, you know, look at yourself. Look, you know, introspection. Think about this. The fact that even this guy that, you know, at this point had been in, I think he said 13 years at this point. He's in it 20 years now. If even he can get overconfident, then you as a new trader probably do it every five minutes. The other, and just kind of real quick, because he nails it, of course, the biggest point I would make about overconfidence is if you ever find yourself adding to a losing trade, then you're, you're, you're living out what he said. He mentioned that his biggest losses came when he was overconfident. I don't have you know the stats in front of me, but I would bet you about anything in those trades, he was adding to losers because he was determined that he was right. So biggest takeaway and write this down. Anytime you're adding to a loser, you need to take pause and really, really think about whether this is the right decision or if you just think, you know, you're badass Mike Tyson and you're going to knock out Buster Douglas in the first round. Yeah. And just a couple of things for me. I mean, I've, I've gone through some kind of transformative learning experiences just rewatching this again. I've, I've really learned on the spot here, which is quite, quite, quite moving for me. Uh, one thing that just randomly comes to mind is Conor McGregor versus Khabib on the UFC. And I think Conor McGregor is going through this right now where he thinks he's unbeatable and unstoppable. He's just had the, the uh, money Mayweather fight, was it? And yeah, I mean, this kid could get knocked out by, by Khabib because he's just on cloud nine. The other thing I'll say is you don't need to think that you're the best trader. You don't need to think that you're the best trader to be overconfident. But 
overconfidence can, from, from my experience, it can come in different ways. Like, for example, you can think, I don't need to do the same preparation that I used to do. Uh, I don't really need to check the SEC filings because I'll, my technical analysis is better, so I don't need to check as much. Or I missed a couple of days of kind of printing out charts, but it's okay because I've been doing well. Uh, my account's a bit bigger now, so I can afford to take the hit. All of these things are signs of overconfidence without you really being aware that the signs of overconfidence. Uh, and the reality is if the best traders are still keeping aware of themselves and keeping aware of the market six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven hours a day, that you're not you're not gonna do very good if you're just doing one hour a day, two hours a day, just because you think you kinda get it now. And 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 overconfidence can materialize and man- manifest in these ways as well. So just just a tip to keep on guard of where I've gone wrong. Very well said. Nice work, Stephen. I think you nailed it. Let's go to the next clip. The market is a big competition. We're all competing with each other for a finite amount of money. Often one person's profit is someone else's loss. In order to make it, you need to have a higher standard than the masses. Average does not cut it. Even above average will not be enough. Being profitable demands a high level of accountability. Almost all of us here are self-employed. We have no boss. There's no one to tell us what to do, no one to motivate us, no one to guide us. Without someone to keep us in line, we're on our own. So to find a way to rise up to the challenge, to put myself on a path of success, I like to think of it like this. A professional is someone who makes a living practicing his craft. An amateur is someone who does it for fun, as a hobby. If I want to be successful, If I want to consistently make money as a trader, then I have no choice but to think and act like a professional. This is the essence of my personal philosophy. Again, very, very pertinent points. And and I like to think at Steady Trade, we are extremely professional. I think the, the barnyard sound effects kind of convey the seriousness that we still want to know what an elephant is doing in the barnyard. (laughs) But I I really like, I really like to think that these sound effects really add a professional essence to what we're doing. And the producer so eloquently placed them in between the clips. Since we're such, since we're such professional podcasters, he needs to put those sound effects in so that you and I actually pay attention. (laughs) <laughs> I wake back up from a drunk slumber <laughs> whenever I hear them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm on a bond. No, 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 I'm not. I'm on the podcast recording. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it comes back to the point that I'd, I'd, that we discussed earlier that, I mean, how many trades would you not take? How many losses would you have cut early if you had someone behind you like a boss saying you shouldn't be in this? And that, that is kind of the mentality of a professional where the mentality of someone doing it for fun is, you know what it is? I want to feel good. So I'm going to let this well, one Well, because keep in mind, you know, you know, like if you, and, and not that I recommend this, but like if you trade at like a prop firm, like a trading group, you actually have that risk manager. Or, or if you're like a big trading operation, there, you're out. there, there are guys that they're, they're watching P&Ls and they're like, you're out, you're done. They'll lock your buying power for the day and everything. Not that I would want that, you know, but, but that does exist for that exact reason. Now, the reason we're here is we love the freedom. We can trade from our pajamas and et cetera, or from tank tops and flip flops. Just naked. Just naked. Just well, naked. I think I'd take that over a tank top and flip flops. But trade with 
feeling like me, uh, me private parts are rested warmly on a cold leather chair. But that leaving, departing from that visual, we'll go to the visual of being a professional. Um, you know, one of the reasons we call the, the mentorship program I'm involved in is called Stocks to Trade Pro. Um, because, I mean, Stocks to Trade, when they approached me about this mentorship program, they saw how I, I approach trading. I mean, I've, you've heard me say it a million times. I think of trading as a skilled trade whether you're being an electrician, an engineer, a plumber, or whatever. I mean, if you're a, a, a journeyman electrician, you take that shit seriously. I mean, you have people's lives in your hand. If you're wiring a hospital and you do a shitty half-ass job, people could die. And now trading isn't on that level, but I approach it as a professional. I mean, this is my money. This is feeding my family this is not gambling. This isn't fun. This isn't a hobby. And even if you're trading part-time, you still need to approach it that way if you expect to do it long-term and be consistently profitable. It's a, a, a skilled trade. Yeah, and there's nothing more to add than that other than the fact that when I look into the eyes of the guys who have made it, they take this shit very seriously. Like when I looked at Ducks at the conference last year, He's like, yeah, I do 12 hours of Excel sheets because it's really important to do them if I want to be the best and you have to put the work in. And when we'll have Roland on, on the trader checklist the other day, it's like, I'm working this out and I'm going back and doing my research on these numbers because it's yeah, really important. Yeah, it's really great, important. a great point that Roland made if you didn't hear that episode. He's like, he's like, man, I'm only, you know, in August, he's making like two or three trades a day, but he's like, I'm here every day because, I mean, because he... Uh, uh, considers himself a professional and he might sit in that chair and stare at monitors for 10 hours, but he's there every day. So as we will, we'll end as, as, as we began, um, I say not to be too offensive, not to be too mean, but if you have any sort of interest in trading and you're, you know, getting started or intermediate, I think you are a fool to not watch this presentation by Greg on YouTube or on TraderChecklist.com. Yeah, and, and I would also just say that, I mean, and I'm also one of, the, one of the people, but if you really want to be successful, then you just you have to put the hours and hours and hours in and, and do the work that, that other people aren't willing to do because there's so many, the, the, the different con conferences where I've been to where people are just like, way, way before the stages that I'm at, they're like, I just don't get it. I just can't find the pattern. I've been doing it for a year. I'm like, well, have you, have you seen Gratani's DVD? Have you started tracking your own Excel? Are you, are you part of Pro and STT? Like, are you showing up every day? Have you got a wall full of charts? And they say no to everything. One of and my I'm favorites, like, one of my favorites. And hopefully, you know, if, if these people are listening, I will try. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I enjoy being mean to Steven, but I don't enjoy being mean to other people. <laughs> but I, I think back to uh, two, I think it was two conferences ago, or what? maybe it was even last year. Sykes and I were on stage. It was live trading, and there was a buyout that day. And the question came, you know, can you trade a buyout? The stock is, you know, it, it was a stock trading at like four, and it was at like $8. And so it's up 100%. Somebody asks, is this tradable? And we're like, no, the buyout's at $8. It's not going to move. It's basically going to trade at $8 all day. Five minutes later, someone's like, can, should we be trading this ticker? And Sykes and I, we're like, 
five minutes. Are you, you, you fly all the way to Orlando, you get a hotel room, you leave your family and you're not paying attention enough to hear that w- what we just said about this ticker. And then no bullshit. You can call bullshit if you want. Like 10 <laughs> minutes later, another guy asked about the same freaking ticker. And it's like, you know, that is not taking shit seriously. If you're going to fly across the country to a trading conference and, and have somebody, you know, forget me, somebody, somebody like Sykes that is maybe one of the most successful low price stock traders ever. And he says, don't trade this stock twice. And then 15 minutes later, you ask about it again. Yeah, because it's really easy to do the easy stuff. It's really easy to be like to your wife, like, babe, I'm getting on a plane to Orlando. I'm going to go to the conference and I'm going to come back a millionaire. It's very easy to say that, but it's very difficult to spend nine hours studying in Excel, making your brain TikTok. It's much more difficult to do that. And, and again, like I've been through the phases of doing stuff and studying and I've got profitable through doing it. But even I slept and I'm like, do you know what it is? Fuck this kind of thing. Like I'm sick of working hard. I'm sick of working hard, but then just got to get back on the horse and ride that horse and make it trot and gallop, baby. Got to make the horse trot, trot and gallop. I, now I see that there. Nice job, Stephen, to close out this episode. You tied it into the sound effects. That horse we keep uh, hearing is the horse you're trying to teach to gallop. <laughs> so again, would like to thank you for listening to, to this episode. A great one, Greg. Um, maybe, maybe Greg is listening. You know, uh, Thanks, Greg. Um, I've had many conversations with him. Hopefully, we'll have him on the podcast here soon. On that note, Remember, this episode will probably be airing, oh, I don't know, a week or two before the Trader and Investor Summit in Orlando, the end of September. We will be there as long as Stephen clears immigration, clears clears homeland security and gets into the country. He'll be there. We'll, we would love to speak with you. We'd love to meet up with you, take your questions. Maybe even if things work out, if it's not too busy, we would love to maybe do a couple live episodes of the podcast. So look forward to seeing you in in Orlando. And if you didn't make it this year, you know, Sykes, I know Sykes has some kind of over-the-top marketing, but the last three, four years, that conference sells out usually in about a week. So if you can't make it this year, definitely check it out next year. And if you are there this year, Stephen, the producer, Glenn, me, we would love to meet up with you. Hi, this is Aaron, a.k.a. Double A Ron, from New York City, and I like to go outside and find a stray dog, preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a Rottweiler. Then I get real close, stare it down eye to eye, until it starts to chase me. Then I run. That's right, I run! While listening to Steven and Tim on the Steady Trade Podcast. You can register to win real, actual prizes at their website, SteadyTrade.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City. (laughs) 